0: Welcome to this month's podcast of Red State Blue Mom. Mama B here to discuss current national and local topics as they pertain to life in general and to the lives of Tennesseans. Today, I'm not recording this podcast in a studio because I'm at a new and remote East Tennessee location. I'm sitting at my very own kitchen table with my audio engineer, Landon, and his on-the-go recording equipment. This is a first for us. We're shaking it up a bit and truly bringing kitchen table issues to you directly from my country-style kitchen. So, let me know what you think about this change and contact me at redstatebluemom at gmail.com with any questions, concerns, suggestions, or criticisms. And another big change is on the way. Rumor has it that a Red State Blue Mom Facebook page will be launching sometime this summer. So stay tuned. Speaking of summer, aren't we all happy it's finally here? Officially, summer starts on Sunday, June 20th, which also happens to be Father's Day. So heads up, dads, this Father's Day is the longest day of 2021 in our northern hemisphere because it's the summer solstice. June is also known as Men's Health Month. Duh, that's a no-brainer. I'm thinking someone said, let's have June be National Men's Health Month because of Father's Day, and it will be easier for the guys to remember to take care of themselves and have regular medical checkups. Yeah, right. I'm really happy summer's here, though it means more weeds to pull, outside projects to tackle, higher humidity, and frizzier hair. But it also means lake fun with the family, wearing sandals all the time, grilling meals, and eating outside, or as the Italians say, Eating al fresco and enjoying lots of yummy, fresh seasonal veggies and fruits while dining al fresco. And unlike last summer, if you're vaccinated, there's no need to wear a mask. Yay! But truth be told, I have a few friends and quite a few family members who have no intention of ever getting vaccinated and no intention of ever wearing a mask again. They'll just be out in public without a mask, letting everyone think they've been vaccinated. It's pretty sad, but it is what it is. On June 1st, while driving on I-40 in our beat-up old pickup truck, my husband turned to me with a great big smile on his face and said, It's the start of National Dairy Month, and on this day when I was a kid, my dad would take the family to the Waiowiga Bank for all-you-could-eat ice cream cones. My husband grew up on a farm in northern Wisconsin, America's dairy land, So the start of National Dairy Month was a big hairy cow tipping deal. Sorry for the visual stereotype there. But now there are many Americans who don't eat or drink dairy products at all. So June is called National Dairy and Dairy Alternative Month. I would bet Wisconsin cheeseheads, which is what my husband and his people call themselves, do not like to hear the words dairy alternative. But what do I know? I'm not from Wisconsin. June 14th is Flag Day, which became an annual observance in August 1949 when Democratic President Harry Truman signed the legislation into law. On June 14th in 1777, the Continental Congress adopted the Stars and Stripes as the official flag of the United States. As new states were brought into the Union, a new star was added. The flag's gone through a number of revisions to becoming the flag we know today. But what hasn't changed at all are the 13 red and white stripes representing the original 13 colonies. In my lifetime, I'm wondering if there will be another two stars added to the 50 already on the flag. Two stars, one for Washington, D.C., and one for Puerto Rico. In Tennessee, it's not all that often we see a license plate that has Washington, D.C. on it. But if you spot a D.C. plate while tooling down I-40, you'll see the motto, Taxation Without Representation. Did you know residents of Washington, D.C. pay more taxes than residents in 22 other states and pay more taxes to the federal government per person than any state? but they have no votes at all in Congress and are subject to interference from the federal government when it comes to their local laws, how they get funds for local law enforcement, fire service, roads, etc. Did you know the majority of states receive more in federal services than what they pay into the federal government in taxes, and that includes the state of Tennessee. Therefore, Washingtonians have the right to use the early American colonists' political slogan that helped spur the American Revolution against Great Britain, no taxation without representation. The LGBTQ community celebrates National Pride Month in June. In East Tennessee, Knox Pride usually has an annual in-person celebration, but they canceled it this year because of lingering COVID factors and we'll be having a virtual celebration instead. Because Tennessee is the buckle of the Bible Belt, with over 80% of Tennesseans considering themselves Christians, there is a lot of pushback and prejudice leveled at the LGBTQ community in the state. This is probably because the largest evangelical Protestant denomination is headquartered in Nashville, the Southern Baptists. June is a big month for them because that's usually when they have their annual convention. This year, it's in Nashville. I was raised in a religion that condemned anyone who wasn't heterosexual, and in that faith, we were told to shun them and not even give them the time of day. That's really Christ-like behavior, right? In his time, Jesus Christ associated with what were considered the marginalized people of his day— like one of his 12 apostles, Matthew, who was a tax collector, a Samaritan woman in the parable of the Good Samaritan, and the Pharisees, which in his time would be comparable to hanging out with Muslims today. These are just a few examples, and I'm hoping you get the point I'm trying to make. In my 20s, I made a choice to distance myself from that faith because there were a lot of beliefs that greatly upset me, and shunning people or only hanging out with your own religious kind was one of them. Truth be told, I hate discrimination and mistreatment of any kind toward anyone or anything, and I feel Jesus' life tells us he did too. The LGBTQ community has had way more than their share of discrimination and mistreatment, and this has mainly been perpetrated by religious people. As of this Pride Month 2021, there have been over 200 anti-LGBTQ bills introduced in state legislatures around this country, including bills that target the transgender community and transgender youth in particular. 21 states have introduced bills to ban doctors from providing transition-related, gender-confirming care to transgender youth. Arkansas is the first state to make this a law. I think it comes as no surprise to anyone that Tennessee is one of the states considering a bill similar to Arkansas's. This breaks my heart because what happens to these transgendering young people when their medical care has been criminalized? I think it would also come as no surprise to any of my listeners that Tennessee's governor has signed into law one of the cruelest anti-trans laws in the nation, as stated by the website lgbtqnation.com. This Tennessee law will require businesses and public buildings to post that they serve transgender people, if they do, and that those transgender people are allowed to use the restroom, regardless of the gender designation posted on the door. This gives a heads up to all people who believe in marginalizing and shunning transgender people. How is this new law any different than a Jim Crow law in the South during segregation when people of color could not use bathrooms or drink from water fountains that white people used or sit anywhere they wanted in a courtroom or a theater or on a bus? I just don't get it. I don't get the reasoning unless you add a good dollop of religion to the mix to explain it. Christians, please channel the saying you came up with and popularized, what would Jesus do? And why not use the golden rule too while you're at it? I've mentioned in other podcasts that I've traveled a lot of this world, and frankly, there are many countries that do not have separate female and male designated bathrooms in public or private spaces. Bathrooms are shared by both sexes. Does the state of Tennessee not realize that the slate of anti-LGBTQ laws and anti-transgender laws are actually codified hate laws, and this could affect what decisions corporations make as to where they will invest and plan to grow for the long term. Or it could affect profits in the entertainment industry or sporting venues. In this country... Suicide is the second leading cause of death among all young people. But among transgender youth, suicide is four times higher. Forty percent of the LGBTQ community has considered suicide, and some researchers and activists think this figure is probably much higher in reality. I recently saw Chastan Buttigieg on TV. He's the husband of current Secretary of Transportation and former presidential candidate, Pete Buttigieg. He said 40% of homeless young people living on the streets right now identify as LGBTQ, and most are homeless because of their family throwing them out. It broke my heart to hear this, and it's not right on any level. A February 2021 Gallup poll showed a 60% increase between 2012 and 2020, of adults who identify as LGBTQ, bringing the overall percentage in the U.S. to 5.6% of the population. And among Generation Z, which are 18 to 23-year-olds, about 15.9% identify as LGBTQ. Overall, women are more likely than men to identify as LGBTQ at 6.4% versus 4.9%. And women are also more likely to consider themselves bisexual across all ages. A few years ago, a Knoxville friend told me she thought her son was gay, but he hadn't said anything to the family yet. I told her I know what a great mom and dad, her and her husband are, and what kindness and love they show to everyone. She heartily agreed but with a great degree of sadness, she told me, the world is hard on people who are different, so what will life be like for him? I couldn't answer her, but I understood her worry because mothers always think about and worry about their children every single day, and they want life to be good to them, for them to be treated well, and for them to be happy. I can't for the life of me understand people, and dare I say it, these days mostly white Christian nationalists, white Christian evangelicals, who are always screaming about freedom, liberty, and their rights, that they have the right to say and do whatever they want, including storming the capital of the United States, but then those same people always look for a way to curtail the rights of those people they consider different or the other whether they be minorities or people in the LGBTQ community. These same people often hate and scream incessantly about liberals too, but maybe don't stop to think that the word liberal can be traced back to the Latin root word liber, L-I-B-E-R, meaning free, the same root of the word liberty. So why not stop codifying hate and let your fellow Americans freely and privately live their lives? On June 19th, our country celebrates a holiday considered historical and somewhat ethnic and cultural, Juneteenth, also known as Freedom Day, Jubilee Day, and Emancipation Day. It was June 19th, 1865, When slaves in the remotest slave-holding state in the Confederacy, Texas, in particular Galveston, Texas, found out they were free and no longer slaves. This was a full two and a half years after Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation outlawing slavery in the United States. The freeing of slaves in Confederate states usually relied upon advancing Union troops reading the Emancipation Proclamation, known today as a presidential executive order, to slaves in any former Confederate jurisdiction. After the reading, the troops would then quell any problems caused by Confederate slave owners and sympathizers. It was in the slave owners' interest to keep those slaves working on the plantation as long as they could, so why let them know they were free before Union troops arrived, just because of some presidential proclamation they didn't agree with anyway. June 19th, Juneteenth, generally celebrates the end of slavery in the United States, and it's interesting to note that two slave states, Delaware and Kentucky, continued practicing slavery after June 19th, 1865, until the 13th Amendment abolishing it was ratified in December of that year. If you listened to my May podcast, you would have learned that a number of Native American tribes also owned slaves, and they sided with the Confederacy during the Civil War. These tribes were moved from the southeastern U.S. to Indian Territory in Oklahoma years before the Civil War in a genocidal event called the Trail of Tears. These moved tribes included those from Tennessee. All but a small group of Cherokees that hid out in the Appalachian Mountains, who are located in Cherokee, North Carolina, to this very day. One of those moved tribes, the Choctaw, did not release their slaves until 1866. There are descendants of black, biracial Seminoles from Florida, called Moscogos, who escaped from slavery in 1852 way before the Civil War and settled as freedmen in Coahuila, Mexico. They also celebrate Juneteenth. Celebrations of Juneteenth started within Black church communities in Texas and then spread across the South, and then into that enclave in Mexico I just mentioned. These celebrations were often used as political rallies to help newly freed slaves, now called freedmen, exercise their voting rights. These celebrations mostly centered on the remembrance of being freed through food, singing, and select readings. Through the years, the celebrations included street fairs, rodeos, family reunions, park parties, and historical reenactments. By 1890 and into the early 20th century, all former white-dominated Confederate state legislatures— Had passed new constitutions or amendments excluding blacks from our country's political process, disenfranchising them, effectively making them second class citizens, and ushering in discriminating Jim Crow laws that lasted until the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Interestingly, it was Democratic President Lyndon Baines Johnson, a Texan from the hill country west of Austin who marshaled these two acts through Congress and then signed them into law. If you're up on the news, you're probably aware Texas is trying to pass the most draconian anti-voter legislation since the advent of Jim Crow laws more than a century ago. Once again, they are disenfranchising mostly minority voters. Texas is one of many states, all mostly Republican-controlled, looking to suppress voting in upcoming elections, buying into the big lie that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. I say, show us the proof. Show us the receipts. I really want to know. This is why we need Congress to pass the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act before they recess in July. In thinking about people or groups who are considered different or the other, and therefore marginalized and treated poorly, my thoughts drift to an isolated, never enslaved or slave-owning tri-racial group living in Appalachian East Tennessee called Melungeons. Until I moved to Tennessee, I had never heard of them. A number of years ago, a fellow beekeeper friend and I spent time mentoring a new beekeeper by helping her choose an apiary location and showing her how to put her hive equipment together. Her farm was located in Hancock County, Tennessee, not far from the state of Virginia's southwestern border. From other discussions we've had over the years, my friend knew I liked history, so as we left the new beekeeper's property, he asked me if I'd like to see the historical Vardy community where some Melungeon still lived. I had read a newspaper article about this group way before his offer of a visit to the Vardy community, and way before newspapers were on the verge of extinction. And I was very fascinated with their story. The Melungeons are an enigma, and are often called the Lost Tribe of Appalachia. Most of them live in eastern Tennessee, eastern Kentucky, southwestern Virginia, and southern West Virginia, but there are small related groups in a few other states. To me, The Melungeons are one of the most interesting genealogical stories in the United States. Let me explain why. Before the advent of DNA testing, Melungeons had a few different origin stories. Some claimed they were descendants of Portuguese explorers to the New World who had settled in Appalachia and intermingled with Native American women producing offspring. The first mention of Melungeons in the historical record was in 1810, identifying them as Portuguese rather than Indian or Negro. Others said they descended from the lost colony of Roanoke and married into Indian families. Some theorized they were a mix of Caucasian Europeans, American Indians, and escaped African American slaves. As I mentioned earlier in this podcast, Many Southeastern Native American tribes, including the Creeks and Cherokee, with communities in various Appalachian locations in Georgia and East Tennessee, owned black slaves either from raiding early white colonial villages or homesteads or bartering for them with colonists. Recently, I read an article in the Atlantic magazine by Annette Gordon-Reed, a professor at Harvard University who said the 20 or so African slaves who landed at Jamestown, Virginia with the early colonists at one of the first colonial habitation sites in America were actually taken as spoils of war after a battle with a Portuguese galleon. At this time, Portugal had already been enslaving people from Africa for centuries, but the English were newcomers to the slavery system. This got me thinking. What if some Portuguese sailors had impregnated some female African slaves before their human cargo was captured by the British, and these slaves gave birth to some of these biracial babies in the New World who were then kidnapped by Native American tribes in the area? Hey, it's a possibility, and this would explain why Melungeons are often considered triracial. In the original 13 colonies before the Revolutionary War, there were mixed-race families formed by white women marrying African-American men or marrying Native Americans. Because the women were free, any children born to a mixed-race couple were also born free based on the mother's free status. None of this was prohibited or taboo until after the mid-1700s. By the mid-1800s, some Melungeon pioneer homesteaders were considered white by their neighbors and by law, so they voted, served in the military, and carried guns, just like white citizens of the time. I've also learned that most deeply rooted, isolated rural Appalachian families have Melungeon roots, although they may not realize it, or may be trying to keep it a secret, because until around 1900. They mostly married among their known cohort of other Melungeons, But after the turn of the last century, they started marrying into the general population of white Americans. Unless Melungeon heritage is claimed, and they know their lineage for certain, it's hard to know if someone is Melungeon or not. Sometimes it's physical features that may suggest someone is Melungeon, such as very dark hair and dark skin tone, with lightly colored eyes, most often strikingly blue. The name Melungin is also a mystery. Some researchers say that this word stems from the French word melange, which means mixture. But Melungeon, as it is pronounced, exists in Spanish folk songs and is a disparaging term for someone from a socially lower class. Its pronunciation is also identical to the Arabic term Milan-jin. These are two words, and I'm going to spell them out. M-E-L-O-N, one word. J-I-N-N, another word. These words meaning one whose life has been cursed or cursed soul. Wherever the word comes from, it's definitely a pejorative. Now let's talk about modern DNA testing, which became widely available in the U.S. about 20 years ago. The Melungeon DNA Project was started in 2005 with the Vardy community in Hancock County, Tennessee, and another group in eastern Kentucky. The female ancestors of these two groups showed European DNA, while the male ancestors showed African or European haplogroups, meaning they have inherited traits from common ancestors. Only one male in the test groups had a Native American haplogroup. The patriarch of the Hancock County Melungeons is Vardy Collins, for whom the Vardy community is named. Besides the Collins surname, there are 19 core family surnames within the community. After giving you some background in Melungeon history today, In July's podcast next month, I plan on continuing the story of my trip to the Vardy community, sharing some famous, or should I say infamous, local legends, and I want to tell you about my surprise tour with a member of one of those 19 core family surnames. I'm going to take the liberty to say, you don't want to miss listening next month, especially if you're interested in good stories and Tennessee history. In conclusion, I want to say yay for summer, yahoo for no mask wearing, yippee for celebrating differences of all kinds, and a great big yay for celebrating our flag, which represents our freedom to be who we want to be and to love whomever we want to love. As Confucius said long before Jesus did, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's a universal principle acknowledged in every great faith on this planet, and it works for the greater good. Treating people like you would like to be treated. Show good intent. Be kind. Show grace, because on any given day, you do not know what battles another person is fighting, and your kindness and grace can make all the difference in their life.